Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a road verse read-along and analysis podcast that sits out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Titan's Curse, Chapter 19, The Gods Vote How to Kill Us, and Chapter 20, I Get a New Enemy for Christmas. As always, I have my points to focus on, so today we've got characters, story, endings, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. As gods decide their fate of the heroes, and honestly, when are they not doing that? The battle is yet to come, but now it's time for a dance and a small rest. <laughs> JK, let's just ruin someone's life and cause drama and now it's the end. And that's pretty much the summary for these final two chapters. And yeah, guys, it is the final part for the Titan's Curse. The last two chapters before we carry on. And it's a doozy. But before I move on, though, I do want to obviously point out that, of course, yesterday, or for you guys, that would be the 6th of October, because I'm hoping this will come out on the 7th, which is very late, because full-time job (laughs) but I stayed up all night well okay started reading in the evening and finished it by midnight the final book in the Percy Jackson Chronicles which is Tower of Nero for the Trials of Apollo of course I'm not going to talk about it here I'll probably do a review on my YouTube channel Healthy to Fran go check it out um but yeah we'll get to that book when oh god that's gonna be like eight nine years from now isn't it But yes, so the Percy Jackson series has concluded with the Tower of Nero. But never fear, the best damn camp will always be here. I'm so proud of myself for that rhyme. Jesus Christ, I'm Apollo. Um, (laughs) Terrible rhymes, but I'm here for... Wait, hold on. Uh, Apollo, I'm joking. Um, I have a really bad immune system, mate. Please don't, please don't curse me i'm sorry i take it back it's all all in jest all in jest my guy but um (laughs) to move on from that though let us move in to the stories final chapters for the titan's curse starting with chapter 19 the gods vote how to kill us and here is the overview for chapter 19 our heroes soar to olympus with fear of death, they face the gods, and pretty much that's whenever you're going to face the gods, you're going to be fearing some kind of death. Their fates lay in their hands, but thankfully the gods will finally intervene in the war. It took them three books. Three! 
And three... Oh, God, that's three years, isn't it? It took them three years. But they're finally getting involved. <laughs> a plan to combat their enemies is now in place. We just have to kill an innocent... Wait, what? Tyler and Percy are dangerous. That's a given. So Talia joins the hunters. Wait, what? Only Percy left in time to vote for his death. Wait, what? This is happening a lot, but hey, the gods didn't kill them. Time to party! Luke does indeed live like most cockroaches do. And Athena is one smart but tough as nails cookie. And I love her. Annabeth and Percy finally get their dance. And that is the overview for chapter 19. There is a lot of wait what moments I've realised, but uh, that's pretty much this whole chapter. There are so many things that happen. You're in a constant state of wait, what? When? Ha? What? What? <laughs> um, and so we're going to break that down right here, right now. Starting predominantly to do with, uh, well, it's mainly a lot about Talia, really. I love Talia so much. She's, she is the best girl um, and deserves the world um so we'll get into this but i'm just gonna say this chapter <laughs> straight away is just another example of why the bessie storyline did not need to be involved whatsoever the only reason why there oh, there is no reason why bessie is involved and it's really frustrating to me and this chapter just continues to prove it because talia and percy are both a risk and this this is going into the story aspect sorry i forgot to say that this is the story aspect of this discussion part so tanya and percy are both a risk like i can see why and we kind of get it this whole book and obviously the, the majority of percy's stories have been about the fact that he is at risk his emotions are played with incredibly easily which is why we learn that his fatal flaw is loyalty because every adventure he's gone on has been tied personally to him his mother grover annabeth these three people are incredibly important to him and cronus has played that to his advantage as athena notes and athena god bless you i love you she points this out to him and he doesn't seem like it's good in moderation is basically what she says and it's true like loyalty is good in moderation but when there is a chance as she says that you will risk the world for a friend then it's a problem and so that's why he is a risk and Tali we got a little bit of hint of that in that she she momentarily considers this whole thing with Bessie which again was weird it would just be more easier if she was more likely to kind of change over based on the fact that she felt abandoned by her father you know all the other terrible stuff that the gods do which are clear throughout but really not focused on which is frustrating but yeah i don't know but like we know they are a risk we don't need to have the bessie part involved which is the main reason why the kind of vote is coming in is that he could very easily decide to kill bessie and choose who wins and i'm like that just doesn't make sense if anything, what we should have really had focus on is just the fact that they are both a risk because they could go to the other side if one thing tips in in either side's favour for them. Like, if anything, this whole book really should have had more of a focus on that as a whole. Like, focus on the anger at the gods for the loss of Bianca and the loss of Zoe and the fact that Annabeth was kidnapped technically because of them as well. 
play into the gods' flaws more. Like we have that whole moment with Apollo where he forgets that Annabeth was taken, not really caring, caring more about Artemis than Annabeth. Um, play into that, play into Percy and Talia's anger of that fact. So the possibility of them joining the Titans feels a lot more concrete so the gods can feel nervous about them because right now it just seems like they're being dicks, really. It just feels like they're being that way because, like, oh, I don't trust them. But, like, give them reason to not trust them if that's what you want to do. If, <laughs> if that's what you want to do, give them a reason to not trust them. And by doing so, have that be that they have moments of doubt. Doesn't necessarily have to be verbal. Maybe in Talia's case, so we know that she's having aspects of doubt. And that's also why she ends up joining the Hunters. But play into that. I, th I think honestly it should have been played into that from the start from the first book we get a small moment of that with Percy in the first book where he understands where Luke is coming from but that disappears so quickly so it's frustrating because I think the whole thing really is that the whole the whole Percy and the Olympians would work so well into showing the validity behind the points that Luke makes we have to see his side a little bit more and even agree slightly same with Percy and Tully kind of agreeing a little bit to get that extra risk from them because we need to understand why demigods are joining them why the demigods are frustrating uh, frustrated and angry and sad and <laughs> depressed and all these sort of things like we need to understand it a lot more but we aren't getting that so that's why Luke's cause feels really flat at the moment, which I think is really frustrating. If we got more of it, if we got more of him, all the things that are going to come next are going to feel so much more valid and we're going to understand it so much more. But for now, we're kind of not really getting any of that. So it's... it's if the justification behind the Titans rising and why the demigods are joining them just isn't there and I think obviously I can't give any spoilers or anything like that because I'm trying not to spoil it for anyone but from the decisions that are made in the next couple of books having that understanding of the other side would help so much in understanding some of the characters that we are going to meet but we don't really get it and it's frustrating but let's move on No, I can't do that because I, I hate whispering. Um, <laughs> I'm not fun in cinemas, clearly. Um, yeah, the only character I really want to talk about is Talia in this case because... Okay, so I did a video last year, maybe? I don't know. About why Talia became the lieutenant. Not her joining the Hunters. That I kind of got as a whole. But her becoming the lieutenant specifically. Considering that she was only just joining the Hunters. You'd think maybe she would just get her just be joining the hunters and not becoming the lieutenant of the hunters um so i will link that in the episode show notes in case you guys are interested in checking that out but the thing that i really love about this especially her joining the hunters is that she is finally getting the choice of her own life she is deciding her own destiny here she had no choice in her life whatsoever prior to this she had no choice in being a demigod and having to run away from home from the, the terrible life that she was living there the danger that she was constantly in the being the hero aspect turning into a tree 
her coming back from being a tree or even in her in her life after that she was still having to kind of uphold this leadership aspect of being the daughter of Zeus and all these sort of things and becoming a hunter that was her choice she decided to be a hunter yes she was asked but she was the one who got to make the decision and I'm just I'm so glad that she finally got to have that again I do kind of wish it was played up and into a little bit more so it didn't kind of feel too out of the blue like her interacting with the hunters at like a sort of better level um maybe even her relationship with Zoe developing slightly so we get that extra oomph of Zoe's loss but then also her taking Zoe's place in a sense or at least kind of like what's the word that I want to use um uh respecting Zoe's legacy or something like that just helping it uphold Zoe's legacy I think that's I think that's what I meant to say I don't know um and have that because she she has this relationship with Zoe and with Bianca as well so we kind of get more but I think if that had been played up into a little bit I I'd be more I'm I'm fully into it because I like that she's gotten this choice but I think it would be more realistic for her choice to have been this if she developed a little bit more of her relationship with the hunters because like obviously at the start she absolutely hates them and that doesn't really change that much throughout the book she she gets more but less spiteful and vindictive but she's not like exactly warm to them um so i think if that had been done better i think myself and others because i know lots of people were surprised when she did become a hunter um so i think if that had been done i'd be i'd be all for it well more for it i don't know if i'm making any sense anymore (laughs) i've had a long day at work guys okay don't judge me (laughs) but that is all i have to say for chapter 19 though i do want to point out though that i i loved that we got the dance finally between annabeth and and percy and as well as his whole thing of like he was absolutely terrified about losing annabeth to the hunters and that oh my god my shipper heart loved it so much and it was just oh that was a highlight i didn't talk about it at all because it's like it wasn't significant to the story it was just like ship related but i do love that they are digging into it as well as the slight hints of something that may come further with the mortal girl or the fact that he relied on so many other people including immortal to actually save his life which seems a bit mortalist i don't know what the term would be offensive to mortals i don't know but um yeah it was cute i liked it um but let us move on now to chapter 20 i get a new anime uh, a new enemy for christmas and this is the overview for chapter 20 tyson the sibling we all wish he we had let me try that again (laughs) tyson the sibling we all wish we had I ship Sally and Paul, I'm just going to say it, but mostly I ship Sally with happiness because she deserved it. Our trio returned to Camp Grave but glad to be back. The battle will be coming soon with the camp its first spot. And once again we learn that Charon is the worst counsellor in the world. Oh my god. 
Responsibility for grief counselling and delivering dire news is left to a 14-year-old. What in the Hades is this? Nico is devastated into pure anger when the skeletons return only to be, only to be dealt with quickly by Nico, a son of Hades. Our trio keep this a secret and I'm not surprised because Chiron is bloody useless. <sighs> Annabeth is to return to her family in San Francisco. I'm not particularly happy about that, but uh, hopefully they stop being gaslighting assholes. Percy is to return to his home to rest because a battle is coming and apparently this untrained child doesn't need training. When Pan speaks to Grover... And as Pan says, and as I say, I await the next story. Or, well, Pan says, I, I await you. Wait, is that what he says, actually? Hold on. <laughs> I feel like I may have gotten that wrong now. Uh, oh, no. What is it that... Oh, yes, I await you. I was right. Yeah. I await the next story. Pan awaits you. Um, and, yeah, that's the overview for Chapter 20. Oh my god, this, so this is the last chapter, and as I have since learnt today, I am not particularly satisfied with this ending, but before going into the ending part, because I should really have that near, near the end, like a, you know, like a normal person, let's, uh, let's get into characters first, because, well, I'm not really going to go much into him, but um, officially Chiron is the worst of the worst now. I think he's actually worse than the gods, because um, he is in charge of these children, and he is doing nothing. He is literally doing nothing. You are an immortal. You have hundreds, if not thousands of years of experience. You, And you left the delivery of grief news to a 14-year-old boy. Firstly, 14-year-old boys. I have experience with them because I was a highly closeted gay at the time. So, um, beards, what are you going to do? They, they do not have that much emotional capacity for, you know, delivering death. I mean, oh my god. I, I am so angry <laughs> even now about it. I know, obviously, this is Rick's writing, but, like, come on. And I think that's also the extra part. It's just it's so frustrating because the only reason that is done for drama. You know what would have been better? If he'd been told previously and then he storms in. After that, seeing Percy and, like, I don't know, tries to start fighting him at this point or something like that. Have him already have this new and this rage be building up until Percy arrives. Have the whole, like him taking him into the clearing. Have that be, he just bumps into Nico randomly who is ready to kill him, basically, or want to kill him or something. But have the news already be there because then that building of rage will feel so, so much more scary, I think. It'd be so much better to me, I think, to have had this rage of Nico's, uh, uh, the rage and grief combining together because he knows that his sister is dead. He knows that Percy was meant to rescue her and he still hasn't returned. Have 
Percy return and look relaxed maybe he's just walking about he's living his life and that sets Nico over the edge that's when he confronts him that's when he tells him that he wishes he was dead and all these sort of things it would work so well like it was clear that the promise that Percy made was going to come back and backfire but what we have is just so much more overdramatic and it doesn't feel like it was built up to enough like all these things that I've just said about like the grief and the ending and stuff like that is happening in a single chapter but we also have like a battle room discussion about what's going to happen next summer and all these sort of things so so much is happening have that be its own chapter really have the whole going into the council room and have the reality maybe even not have Percy realize that no one has told Nico what's going on. Or maybe even have him realise that and he goes looking for Nico, maybe, which is when Nico confronts him. I think just something about that I think would be really, really powerful and strong in that emotional capacity of us either not knowing that Nico hasn't been told, or actually no, have that. Have us not know that Nico hasn't been told. So that moment is the real kicker. Oh no, has been told. We do know that he has been told, so it's like it doesn't have to be dealt with. So, but have us. N- I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Have Nico have already been told? I think that's just where I'm going. I feel like it would have been so much better if he'd confronted him after already knowing and had just been waiting to see Percy and seeing him not be happy but be more relaxed and be alive, basically, be the thing that sets him over the edge. Because I just think the overdramatic aspect is that we've got the telling of the grief. that The telling of Bianca's death, I mean. And we have Nico's anger and rage. We've got the skeletons. We've got the screaming. We've got the blaming. It all just happens so fast and in such a short period of time. And then introducing the child of Hades aspect. I think it just needed to be slowed down just for, slightly for us to appreciate which is a weird phrase to use, but to appreciate and understand the grief and devastation of this moment. And admittedly, it probably would have helped if we'd gotten to know Nico and Bianca as a sibling unit better as a whole too, as well as just Nico in general. We have like four chapters, maybe, of Nico interaction. And that's kind of it. And all we know him as is like an annoying brat. Um, so yeah, it just needed to be built up to who more. And I think it would just be more interesting if it had been a confrontation of Nico already knowing and just being angry that Percy is alive and his sister is not. And that leads to it all, just seeing Percy okay, in a sense. Like, obviously Percy's not okay, but physically he looks fine. And that just be the thing that sets Nico over the edge. I think that would have been interesting. But anyway, let's just move on to the story part. Because honestly, I'm really disappointed by this ending. It it finishes and wraps up so quickly that it's kind of annoying. That they return and straight away we're thrown into into the the whole drama aspect, which obviously with Nico being a child of Hades adds to the, more to the prophecy. But then the finish we finish the book on this note of dread, but also a interesting note because Pan has is has spoken to Grover. But it just feels like a quick and sudden end. And I think that's really frustrating. I don't mind open ending because like we've had that in the last couple of books as well. But 
It just feels unsatisfying. Like, considering everything that's happened, the dealing of grief, the delivering of news, the war council aspect, I felt like needed... It, it, I felt like it needed to be done much better. Maybe separating the two into two chapters, or having the... Maybe having the Nico part happen first, followed by this war council, where they... But but the trio lie there, and about Nico being a son of Hades, and so no one knows, and I know, and just have them making those plans for next year after what's happened, where Percy's just filled with his own guilt, that he's happy to be told to go home to rest, maybe or something like that. But (laughs) to talk about the whole rest bit, I also find it really frustrating that Percy continues to be untrained. He has no training no proper training but somehow survives easily and i know not completely easily because there are struggles and all these sort of things but when he's in a physical fight he's doing pretty damn well and he's doing all this without any proper training or sustained training he's was it this book or papers it's been mentioned at different points that like he is just he is rusty regularly. I'm like, yeah, it's because you don't actually train. That's why. And like, he's just so far behind that Talia was ahead of him at the start. Like, we see at the start that Sharon was teaching her things to do with the mist. I'm like, well, yeah, because she's actually going to the camp. Whereas Percy doesn't do anything. He just, like, obviously school is important. Education is important, guys. But if you are not training... And then you go back and you're suddenly in the middle of it again. That is how you die. Like, he's not continuing to practice this at home or anything like that. He's not continuing to sneak off and practice anywhere. He's not working on his skill. He's not doing any of these things. As far as we're aware, it's never mentioned, at least. So, everything that he's doing, every win that he has, is pure luck. And that's really frustrating because it has that whole sort of and he is technically a chosen one but it has that aspect of like he's just generally good at everything like he's able to survive all these things just out of the luck of his I don't know but it's really frustrating I would like for him to actually work on his skills for him to for us to see him consistently working on his skills so his power progression feels realistic but we just haven't been getting that like, hell, we've even had Chiron in the past. I think it may have been in the first book, and I don't think it was ever brought up again, which is annoying, that he should stay in train because he's going to be consistently at risk. And considering every start of the book starts with him ending up in a fight with a monster at a school, usually the one that he's at, except for this book, and he does terribly, more often than not. Annabeth and Tyson saved his butt in the previous book, uh, he technically did well in the first one, but he had Sharon and Grover's support. This one, it all goes to hell immediately with the Titan's Curse. Like, he messes up really badly, and I'm like, yeah, it's because you have no training. Train this boy. Let him have train. Just force him to training. Force him to stay at the camp for a long period of time. I don't care. He needs to train. I don't know, I just think this whole thing, there are just too many things in this final chapter that just frustrate me enough to not enjoy this ending. And it's just it's just not really satisfying at all. In comparison to the others where I'm excited about what's coming next, not only does this one not make me feel interested in what's coming next, because I, it doesn't really give anything except for the whole pan aspect, 
and then the little bit of like the child of Hades things and that's like interesting but because we don't focus on it enough you can forget about it within the next two three pages that's already forgotten about and we've moved on to a different thing oh my god the amount of threads that these story that this story has brought about is just annoying and I know it's frustrating that I'm I've been really negative about this book considering this was my favorite I don't know if it's going to be my favorite anymore I will well second favorite my favorite is um uh, last Olympian <laughs> too many L's in this series um yeah this may move down my list actually it depends on how well Battle of the Labyrinth goes but yeah I think it's disappointing that this this book could have done so so much better for me if certain things had been fixed like the removal of so many of the ridiculous plot lines the tightening up of the character relationships the building of characters and a kind of a deeper dive into grief i think this the whole thing with nico's grief could have been handled a lot better um but overall like the, the story isn't bad like i enjoyed like we've got the building of the relationship between annabeth and percy we're building further into the Luke storyline of what's going on there we're getting further hints as to what will happen with the battles to come next there are so many things that are building up to but this book as a whole does very much feel like an in-between like it is the book that is connecting the sea of monsters to the battle of the labyrinth um it just feels like it's it's a lot of setup i guess is the way to describe it which is it's good to have setup but at the same time it's frustrating um, because not everything a whole book shouldn't really be set up but um yeah that is oh my gosh that is the end of the titan's curse um and we'll be moving on to actually next week of one of our mini stories that takes place between the titan's curse and the battle of the labyrinth but before i sign off there are a few things that we need to get through first up is an email from someone who enjoys listening to the show i will not say the name because i forgot to email back and check to see if that was okay to do it um but you should know who you are and the subject is about zoe uh (laughs) the email begins hi fran this is me this is just me rambling about how much i loved zoe as a character Zoe Nightshade was one of the most interesting characters this series ever introduced. I'm talking the entire series through to Trials of Apollo, or we'll see how you feel after Tower of Nero, my guy. An immortal huntress who has been around since at least the Hercules era was betrayed by someone she put trust in, and then was literally written out of history. The way she was introduced, the way she grew as a character, and eventually grew on us throughout the book was... Hold on. just made her death even more heart-wrenching. Sure. Uh, oh my god, I can't read. She gave birth to the damn jokes and nothing gave me chills quite like I can see the stars, my lady. Oh my god, that line. Also, her story has a 3,000 year gap between her being kicked out of the Hesperides and her appearance in the Titan's Curse and so much potential for great stories. Maybe if Rick wanted to write an anthology about the hunters throughout history, yes! She could be the... Oh, hold on. She could be the anchor and ace queen kicking butt and shooting arrows through the centuries. Thanks for giving me a platform to ramble. My family are sick of my PGO hot takes. Um, (laughs) 
and that's their last new song. Also, a small side note, I do hate the ye old English accent. I don't understand why she has that when she was born at least 2,500 years before the Middle Ages and should have had a Greek accent. Yeah, I don't really get that either, like... I don't know, there was a weird thing that they did. But thank you so much for the email. And oh my god, Zoe Nightshade is an absolutely phenomenal character. I wish she had been slightly more developed and we got a little bit more interaction with her between the other characters and, and stuff like that. But as a whole, Zoe, phenomenal. I want I want a series to do with Hunters, or at least a collection of short stories of the Hunters and the Journeys, and Zoe should definitely be in it. So thank you for that email and for reminding me that that's what I want. I did a video on it, but like that is definitely what I want. But uh, as well, obviously, of course, this is what you guys are here for. Here is this week's question of the episode, and that is, what do you think of the Titan's Curse? And where is it on your... Uh, is it rating that I want to say? Yeah, we'll say rating of the Percy Jackson and the Olympians five books like which, which one is it for me it's probably about two slash three at the moment it will depend when I finish reading Battle of the Labyrinth which obviously you guys will know when I finish that um and yeah so <laughs> that is that and obviously that question will be on all of our social media tomorrow um and yeah so we have come to the end of the Titan's Curse oh my goodness and wow <laughs> I just want to thank you guys for joining me today for the end of the Titan's Curse and be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Ryodenverse journey to plug where you can find our podcasts we are available on Spotify where you should follow us Apple Podcasts where you should drop a rating and a review Audio Boom, Stitcher and Deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter if you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamcamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran and check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow at A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and at A Dose of Fran on Twitter and TikTok. I've never introduced that one before, but I do lots of Percy Jackson hot takes on there if you are interested in checking that out. So, yeah, a dose of Fran, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. So long, my friends. So long.